0: Well hello everyone, welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third. I'm Jack Allison. And today we are talking about one of the biggest comic books of all time. I don't know why we're doing this to ourselves, considering that people are still every day yelling at us about Fucking Watchmen for some reason. <laughs> like, constantly abuse we're getting about the TV show more, uh, more so than the comic. Um, but what the TV show is doing to the comic is, uh, it's bad, Jack. Um, I know you've taken a step back to Twitter. Be, I
1: won't be making any statements about Watchmen outside of the patron only watching Watchmen episodes where I'm contractually obliged to talk about the show. Um, but I choose not to talk about it in this, in this joyful, uh, you know, Dark Knight Returns episode.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. And for this joyful episode where we are talking about, um, Frank Miller's Klaus Janssen and Lynn Varley's, um, Dark Knight Returns, one of the most significant comic books of all time, one of the most influential, one of, I feel, still one of the best comic books of all time. We have two special guests, Alana Levin, who has been on our show before. She is the host of Graphic Policy Podcast. Be sure to check that out. It is the best comic book podcast going today. Thank you so much for joining us, Alana.
2: Thank you. It's great to be back.
0: And we also have Kurt Schiller coming back on. He is the host of the Parents Just to Understand podcast, the best podcast about parenting that you can possibly find. And I'll <laughs> soon be doing an episode of his show where I'll be talking about uh, Batman the Animated Series.
3: Heck yeah. Can't wait for that. Super psyched. And actually, it's uh, thanks for having me back on and thanks for... Uh, putting the the bug in my head to reread this comic because man, it is uh, it's really something. Especially now, like ten years after the first time I read it, lots happened in the Batman world.
0: Yes, <laughs> a lot has changed. Um, and I think this comic, I, I reread it again today, and I have to uh-huh. say, this I realize I only realized today. Like this is probably the comic book I've read. The most times in my life, because I just oh, wow. yeah, this was the first trade paperback I ever got, I mm-hmm. bought it in middle school i don 't remember the kid's name. I bought it off of him for five bucks, it was all beat up it didn't have the cover <laughs> on it before, and it was like the first grown up comic book I think I ever got, at least the only one that I still remember to this day and I read it and reread it and reread it, and just loved every minute of it. It was so different than the things even though i you know this was 10 years after it came out it was still so much different more mature in a good way more felt more real than the comics that you know were coming out uh on the shelf that i read to up until uh that point and i still am and rereading it today i still love it i still fucking love it so if we can just go around and you know say when was the first time uh you read uh the dark knight returns
2: I know that Dark Knight Returns was one of the first DC comics that I read because I'm definitely coming out of the X-Men generation.
4: Same, Um, same.
2: Yeah, I was definitely in high school, but I couldn't tell you exactly what year. And I've always been super political, and I've always enjoyed comics that were very expressly political. Uh, So I was really excited to read it on those terms. And my brain wasn't quite ready to see someone who was going so hard against basically straw men of the left and straw men of the right at the same time. Yeah. But as a kid, I was like, so like, I don't even know how to feel about this. Um, and so I was really, it was great to look back at it again, especially um, after all these, after all these years. And um, and especially in light of like Frank Miller's more recent statements and all of that. But, um, but yeah, I, I definitely was a book. I associate strongly with, you know, being a teenager. And I don't know that I touched this one since then, although I had read dark night, uh, strikes Again, when that came out in the early 2000s.
3: Yeah, so I I definitely, uh, I didn't read this until probably 2002 or 2003. I, I'm probably also part of that X-Men generation. But I was not really a DC Comics guy. I watched... All of the DC cartoons, but I I really, apart from maybe Green Lantern, I really didn't read too many DC comics in that kind of initial wave of interest, Um, and it wasn't until I was in college and I kind of rediscovered comics, and then I specifically uh, discovered Frank Miller, and I went through and, you know, read all of his stuff, Uh, and it was such a difference reading it now compared to reading it, like, you know, the, the first pass on the, the Frank Miller oeuvre. Because I think the first time I read it, I didn't pick up on any of the, the political implications or, or any of the kind of the Frank Miller-ness of it. And mm. now being much more aware of that, it reads so totally differently. Like the first time, I think I just took it as being like, oh, well, it's like gritty and edgy, but there's <laughs> so much more to it. And also now, you know, I guess almost 20 years after that, so much of the dna of this comic has made its way into almost every single batman adaptation Uh of any kind i felt like every few pages i was like oh my gosh like that's where that came from Uh it was really really a very different experience for me to read it now in 2019
1: So I, you know, must have read it uh, either as a teenager or maybe even a little before uh, being a teenager, Um, you know, because my my dad was into comics, um, but was kind of a snob about superhero comics. So it's like Mm -hmm. I grew up with comics, but not even really like superhero comics because he was like, those are those suck <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so this was one that we had around the house. And like this was a superhero comic. So I, I think I probably read uh Dark Knight Returns like pretty young, uh uh, you know, maybe even just like sort of squir- like, you know, squirreling it away or something like that, like before I was supposed to read it. Um and yeah, you know, I, I kind of agree with you, Kurt, that I I certainly didn't understand the political implications, you know, when I was younger, I kind of just was like wow this is like it's like so badass or something i was like it's so much more adult than uh uh you know um uh uh, than what you expect out of batman um because i guess other than that i only really had like the sort of best of the like the silver age batman uh um and i so i knew it was less like corny than that
0: (laughs) yeah so um the genesis for Dark Knight Returns was this idea that Frank Miller had which was what if Batman had aged appropriately since his debut because in comics Batman's always like 30 something Mm -hmm. uh, no matter how long he's been published it was like what if he actually aged appropriately and then you know at some point he had to retire because things were catching up with him and he came back because he's an old man and he's seeing basically uh, what we talked about with Elena on our X-Men episode the late 70s early 80s um, uh, problem of like these super predator street youth gangs right. that were everywhere in media, no matter what <laughs> they were in X Men, they were in Death Wish, they were just anything you look at from like anything said in New York during that time. Taxi mm. Driver, it was nothing but these youth gangs.
1: street gangs. Like it's like the Warriors. Like. Yes, the
2: warriors. I love the Warriors so much, though. But the Warriors are the heroes. That yes, you know? <laughs> I mean, what, the thing that I think is super central to Dark Knight is that the mutants there is, I grew up where the mutants were the good guys, right? The mutants are the heroes. They're X-Men to him. The mutants uh, yeah. are the bad guys. And they're kind of not fully human. Like even yeah. when they'd follow him as the sons of the bat, eventually come around as the sons of the bat, we're, we're going to spoil a comic from the 1986. <laughs> I hope that's okay. People um, yeah. that it's like, they're not fully human to him. And um, that is just a big paradigm shift. Like he does not like those kids. And so I, I think like, for those of us from like X-Men land, like, the idea of these the, the mutants are su- his idea of super predators, and so they're like they're not. They're, he refers to them even as like rats later mm-hmm. on, even once they're already supporting him. Like he he's not he's not uh, treating them as people. And well I, 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 wanna, I think either. that's a
0: little i think that's a little bit unfair because at the end he does say this is where rats live and other rodents meaning of course <laughs> bats are rodents Aww. so what the thing i do like about you know the politics of it is by the end he does turn these this gang who he says are worse than any of the criminals he's faced before Who who does say that they're not, not even human at least about the mutant leader especially mm-hmm. he says that you at one point, he says, you know, we never faced any person like him before dick uh we only fought humans but by the end he turns them into his own gang and takes them under his wing so i do think there is a kind of redemptive arc for this group they're the ones who keep the order when all the regular citizens and the wall street people and the priests are like tearing each other apart they're the ones who like so it's kind of the suggestion that all we need is to steer the youth properly and they can become (laughs) The best of us, basically, is is one way to take this comic.
3: We we just need to turn them into like a fascist paramilitary youth that attacks all the
0: criminals. (laughs)
3: No, I I,
2: I think you're right.
1: We just need the brown shirts, is what we need (laughs) for all these wayward youth. We if they only had a brown shirt circumcision. No,
2: I I think you're right, Leslie. Like ultimately, he's saying that he's hopeful that under the strong masculine leadership (laughs) of 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 Batman, like they will build a new future. Um, Right.
1: If they, if they had str- a strong father figure, yes. they could all... <laughs> yes.
3: So I, I actually kind of felt like um, the, the, the comic was less critical of the, the youth gangs uh, than it was to society in general. Um, yes, because yeah. Because what I kept writing down was like the overwhelming theme of this comic seems to be this just distorting, building degeneracy and dehumanization in a way that almost reminded me of something like Judge Dredd. Where yes. society yeah. has decayed to the point that not just the criminals but everyone is uh, losing touch with their humanity. And it's, an, it's such right. a in-your-face reactionary sentiment <laughs> and it hits over and over and over again on like drug use, lax morals. I, I kept noticing how they portray um, the new Robin's parents as these kind of like decadent hippies who forget yeah. that they have a kid at one point. Um, They constantly show like people indulging in like, you know, overt sexuality and and it's never like comes right out and is like, ooh, this is disgusting. But it's really obvious that it goes hand in hand with the kind of criminal degeneracy that brings back both Batman and then Batman's. Nemesis, and like I said, it just kept reminding me over and over of like Judge Dread. Like it could have been, mm-hmm. I-, I think, a Judge Dredd like plotline almost. And,
1: and and I think also, you know, an element to like I think that you bringing up Judge Dread is is right actually. And I think that you know, like Judge Dread, there's om- there is an element of like. He is in some ways trying to do comedy here. Oh, yeah. Like, this is like supposed to be very funny and like satirical and everything like that. Like, and so I think Judge Dredd is like a good sort of reference point for it because, you know, uh, uh, his politics are what his politics are, but everything in this is supposed to be, you know, heightened out and like very sort of, you know, on, uh, you know, amphetamine <laughs> or something I mean, like
2: that. Yeah. The thing that I really got most from reading it again is that Frank Miller hates TV talking heads as much as I, Yeah, I know. we yeah, have that like, in common and I, like he uses them so well. And, and in a way that others people hadn't used them as littered and right. as almost like just constant running commentary of utter bullshit. And they're always wrong. Every TV <laughs> head is always wrong. And I'm yes. like, I know Frank, yeah. I know. Yeah. It's real.
0: It's re- the way the talking heads work is really good because you do have both people on the far left and the far, well, not necessarily far, but far left for t- American for t- yeah, TV. And for turns, TV. and TV they're, yeah. bo- they're both always just wrong, completely wrong assholes, yeah. and like, and it doesn't really do both sides are wrong. The truth is in the center, because he also hates the, like, centrist mayor, too. He gets his throat ripped <laughs> out. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah.
1: <laughs> so I, I think that Frank Miller, in a lot of ways, like, you know, you can look at it, and, and we Understand what his politics are, but this comic is trying to just say like everything in the whole world is bad and stupid. Yeah. The world, every every sing the world and everything in it is shit and it sucks. No, (laughs) he hates
2: Reagan. Like he hates Reagan. He hates hates Reagan, Reagan. absolutely. And when when he when he released Dark Knight Strikes again in the beginning of the Bush era, I was really excited for it. I'm like, Oh, he's gonna fucking take down George W. Bush, which he did do, but then also it just got really, really bad.
4: Like (laughs) so it's this weird
2: moment. It's like his politics are not my politics but there's moments where we align enough that I'm like yeah I want to mean that <laughs> and then it's like oh wait no you're still sexist it's complicated it's a complicated yeah, well,
1: feeling. I almost feel like it's like he's like not even really like you know, Moore is, like, trying to express, like, a vision of the world, and, like, trying to, like, in, in his comics, but, like, Frank Miller is just, like, trying to, like, look at the world and, like, make a joke about it, kind of. Like, this is, a like, a, a kind of a funny comic.
0: Well, Mil- well Miller, well, it's not, it's not, real he's not really making a, a necessarily joke, and I do have some quotes from Miller's politics, because I think people have an idea of his politics that are based upon some things he said during the Bush era, but he's given a interview in the guardian recently where he basically like takes back that stuff and says you know i wasn't thinking clearly when he said those things he was going through a lot of grief a lot of trauma in his personal life and that got mixed up with the 9-11 stuff and what he really says about what he's trying to do with his comic books and why they can be so politically messy and upsetting and kind of weird and bizarre and and i think dark knight retires is really hard to really Come up with what a political message is 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 in this is because the act of him making the comic is him working all this self all this out for himself he doesn't have an opinion yet he's just making these observations about the world he's just coming at it from what would batman look like existing in our world uh today so that's why he presents every single political viewpoint that there possibly is you have you know you have somebody who you, who supports Batman who is a black guy but he's anti-gay and hopes Batman beats up, uh, goes after gay people next. <laughs> you have like, you know, a right you have like, you know, right wingers who don't like Batman and left wingers who do you have this entire mix every single political v- viewpoint you can have on Batman in particular is presented in this book and this book doesn't really come down on anything really other than to say that even with how Batman is presented is very interesting to me because he doesn't present him as righteous, right? He kind of takes makes digs at the idea that what batman is doing is about striking justice or being some populist hero even though some people think he is a populist hero what he kind of says is that he's doing this because of a pathological need that yeah from his trauma this is him dealing with his ptsd that's very explicit in the first uh issue where he actually talks about batman being like this separate entity within uh-huh. him that he's trying to control and quiet so i think you know the batman is fascist um, people uh who who say that about batman i don't think the dark knight returns really necessarily helps your cause because batman he doesn't really have like an ideology he just has like an illness
2: <laughs> it was less i felt like much i felt like it was much less fascist than I remembered it being. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I read this and I was like, this isn't that different. Like there's other comics that are straight up anti-fascist that are largely the written by folks like Jack Kirby. And I can talk about that later, but like mm-hmm. it's not more fascist than most comics at all. <laughs> right. yeah. And he certain anybody who hates Reagan that much can't be all bad, you know? Yeah. Like, but yeah, I think he really is working through his own issues as well in it clearly. And he doesn't, it's not entirely intellectually coherent, and that's because he doesn't know what, what we're all supposed to be thinking either. And he's not necessarily trying to tell us like I, I had remembered, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, his Superman as being utterly like he, this, he hates Superman. He doesn't hate Superman. Yeah. You know, it's a complex, it's a complex take on Superman. He, he obviously doesn't look like that Superman is going along with, you know, what the government is telling him to do, right. but he points out all the ways that Superman does still use his be, beyond human power to save lives. And he, uh, Gives Superman the opportunity to say things that are true, as well as things that make you roll your eyes. Like mm-hmm. it's not just the punch. Like he, he like while well, he's the guy who actually was able to show Batman turning Superman into a physical punching bag. Like intellectually, his Superman isn't isn't actually a punching bag.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I felt like the 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 clearest. Um ideology that is given a voice to is, is actually um, Jim Gordon has mm-hmm. this little speech that he does about kind of the way that uh, the leadership of the country has decayed since Roosevelt. And he references Pearl Harbor right. and talks about how each subsequent president has, has had like less of that kind of animating spirit. Each subsequent president was less than the one that came before. But then at the end, he wraps back around and says, and later I heard that Roosevelt may have known about Pearl Harbor and let <laughs> it happen and I don't know what to think about that. Um and I so yeah it kind of it lays out a very fascist like lost glory uh, like sp- narrative and then it pulls the rug out from under it. So he's he's clearly having these notions and but is struggling with what he kind of def- definitely sees as like the reality of the everyone is corrupt in Frank Miller's conception. There is nobody who is completely uncorrupt or untouched by some kind of moral failing or degeneracy. I I do think that the, the heavy focus on the kind of like the, the transformative degeneracy of both crime and vice is the closest that it gets to being like Mm fascists. But even that is undercut by the, the fact that like, there, there's no answer of what what to do about it. It's not like it ends with mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, triumphant return to glory. It kind of hints in that direction. But I, I think it is relatively clear-eyed about the fact that that's kind of bullshit too.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it really like – you know, strikes me, it, it feels like when I was reading this again, it really just felt to me like, oh, this is like what it was like to watch like the news in the 80s yeah, or something yeah. like it really feels like a nice like sort of distillation of like the anxieties of a certain time. Um And I don't know necessarily That it says what to do about those anxieties. It just feels like it's a reflection and sort of like a, you know, uh, 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 a, you know, a melding of all of them or something. I mean,
2: I know you guys know, but I need your listeners to know the legend of Frank Miller, which is, of course, that as soon as he got off the bus from Vermont to go work in comics, he was mugged. And that yeah. everything that he writes about New York stems from his like traumatic arrival. Yes. I don't know that we know that that's exactly what happened, but <laughs> it may have happened. But I, I love his Jim Gordon and your point about Gordon expressing his philosophy is you have within pages of each other. Batman, do you know, the Batman breaking the rifle and saying, we don't use guns. Those are the enemy's weapons. I'll show you how to do something more precise in time. And then like literally a page later, it's this is all during the period where they're fighting against the blackout. Gordon says I got my hands on a gun so people listen to me and it's just taken as like face value and he's able to help you know mitigate against some of the chaos but you then do also have a positive representation of people coming in and helping out against the blackout so he's definitely having his characters uh, conflict against each other and deliver deliver opposing messages and like mm-hmm. leaving it to you to decide how you feel about it.
0: And then there's the Wall Street guy who gets a yeah. car and is portrayed like within those same pages as yeah. like the worst kind of the human worst. being while you know the young like street hip hop guy is portrayed as like the sweetest kind of soul in all because he's the one to- helping people and taking care of burn victims. He even helps like the the pre the priest who was like mad and him and was going to yell at him. So he, it, it goes. I mean, there's so much in this comic where it's just like nobody, is, I, I really do like enjoy. A lot of the things in this coming I think from a leftist perspective there's a lot you can take from it like I just noticed on this re reading like the armed security in front of the White House who yes. basically look like American Nazis you <laughs> yeah. know in front for the Ronald Reagan and yeah. of course he uh, everybody knows he's very unhappy the reason why Superman is kind of the villain of this book is is that he has chosen to work directly for the U.S. government, helping them with a uh, foreign intervision, intervention, which Frank Miller mercilessly mocks. He uh, calls it a police
3: action, repeatedly. Yeah,
0: police yeah. action, repeatedly. Uh, he has Reagan talking about, those, just as those cute little Corto Maltese, they want us there. like Just <laughs> complete disdain for U.S. Yeah. imperialism in the middle of the 80s. You you know, Reagan 80s, which I think is, you know, pretty cool uh, uh, politically. There's also something that uh, is really quiet in the book, but there's two back-to-back uh, scenarios where the villains are insurance companies, health insurance companies. Yes. The woman on the subway who's attacked um, by the mutants, her story is made all the more sadder because she talks about like how her you know claims for insurance – Uh, were denied before she is blown up. And then, and she's blown up by this military ordinance that the Mutant gang has. And why do they have this ordinance from the military? Well, it's because this general whose wife's, uh, cancer claim was denied is selling weapons to the Mutant street gang because uh, in order to pay for his wife's, uh, cancer treatment. So the villain, a large, one of the biggest villains in this comic. Are the medical insurance companies? Mm -hmm.
3: I do think we can't completely um, excuse, you know, Frank Miller and and say that like he's he's not uh, he's not also um, undercutting what I think are some pretty persuasive criticisms of. Both Batman as a character and, and you know, that Watchmen style criticism of superheroes in general, because he specifically has the kind of wimpy um, psychoanalyst talking head uh, <laughs> make the argument that Batman is just going around beating up poor people. And he he, that character is clearly just meant to be there to be mocked. I I think they even (laughs) say that he has a book called Hey, I'm OK. And it's so it's like he's he's clearly putting these these arguments that, you know, people would make against superheroes in the mouths of characters that are just outright reasonable and
0: mockworthy. well see the thing when i was reading it today i liked that character he's the most right talking head by far
2: (laughs) but frank definitely doesn't i mean he's the reason (laughs) that joker gets out and gets to kill all those people he's the one who is trying to say well we're going to try to heal these villains and what i what's interesting is that like bruce himself is also trying to give harvey a second chance but then it's proven that it's not possible um that's just from an artistic standpoint though the scene of of batman grabbing harvey dent from the sky going through the window with that black cape in front of the lynn varney colors is just stunning With the description we tumble like lovers through the window i was just like oh i forgot how good this was it's so good
3: there's great like noir detective style narration throughout it it, kind of peters off as it goes on but it's it starts really really like hot and heavy with it and as someone who who loves that that kind of stereotypical, like, Raymond Chandler, noir detective stuff. That yeah. stuff was really firing on all cylinders for me.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, 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 the piece that I, politically, is still very, like, clear to me that I, there's, I don't think you can get a, away from is, like, it really doesn't like women at all. Like, the whole portrayal of Selena Kyle is just insulting and creepy. Um, you know, the only women in it who show any strength are very presented in a, in a more masculine way. Um, and they're they're great characters, don't get me wrong, but like Joker's effeminacy is portrayed as being part of him being dangerous and sick and subversive. And then Bruno, ooh, Bruno, I had to look to see if this was a character who existed anywhere else. You know, everybody is referring to her with she her pronouns, which is like great, but she's there to be mocked. Like she's there to portray it as being monstrous. They talk about mm-hmm. like her stretch marks. It's and like, why is your like one? Probably trans, but you're not allowed to actually say it for some reason, character right. a Nazi. Like that's probably the last person in your story who's a Nazi. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, so those were those are the pieces that still that 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 did still bother me, despite the fact I found there was a lot more things to like than I had remembered.
3: On a purely stylistic level, I, I was struck that um, when, when Joker gets ready to go on TV, that he, he literally gets done up like a Patrick Nagel, um, like D-Duran Duran Duran oh, yeah. album cover drawing, which I was like, oh, wow, like that totally went right over my head the, the first time. And it's really explicit the second, you know, if, if you've seen that that art.
0: I, I love the Joker in this because he is like David Bowie, uh, <laughs> but like... Kind of thick with the suits. I call him the thick white Duke Ooh. instead of the thick white Duke. <laughs> I, I, I like, I, I really dig the Joker. Um, I, I, I like that because br- when I first read this comic I had no idea like where did Bruno come from it from Who, this is. This,
2: is, this is the but first yeah Bruno. exactly
0: and right. I just like uh, like trying to work back what the backstory is like with Bruno and the Joker how they hooked up that just fascinated me like endlessly and uh, uh but I, I can understand why you may be uh, it may be problematic to p- portray the only you know yeah not non forming character as a Nazi, but if you look at the new Watchmen TV show, you will actually find that portraying a marginalized person as a Nazi
2: <laughs> is actually woke.
0: So rep- representation, representation does matter. So. And I would
2: also mention, though, also that Joker is himself not gender nonconforming, and therefore highly suspect. So I do yeah. think this is the one area that I feel like is pretty indisputably not okay, but I did feel like there was there was a lot more nuance happening in everything than, than folks, than, than I had led myself to believe over Mm -hmm. the dialogue over the years if that makes any sense
0: kurt you mentioned earlier like vice is portrayed kind of negatively but there is like one scene that it also goes like directly against that and that's the um travis bickle uh theater shooter right who go uh the guy who goes into the um a a porno theater and starts shooting up people and he's just portrayed as you know completely unhinged completely wrong he has all these you know reactionary regressive uh ideas about sex and he's also thinks that led zeppelin uh has you know satanic lyrics uh embedded within it which is also like a t- critique of like the liberal reaction to like uh rock and roll and transgressive music and of course the media report. it also attacks the media because they reported it as a batman related shooting yeah even though it has absolutely nothing uh to do with batman
3: well that's that's ridiculous that would never happen i can't think of any time you know that's i can't think of anything similar to that in, in you know in modern news yeah. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that um, I, I think when they showed the theater uh, shooter, they explicitly mentioned that he's been listening to like a televangelist, basically, who, who's been giving him these messages. And um, I think that that was the point where I started thinking about so much of this uh, comic has to do with the notion that there are these like viral or like infective influences floating around in culture and that people Mm -hmm. yeah memes basically Mm. yeah and that uh, once society reaches a certain point people just seem to become susceptible to them and this happens again and again throughout the comic they mention that you know Oh, the the existence of Batman is basically a meme that is infecting other people and causing them to turn into these supervillains. They have uh the, 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 the gangs of of youths uh go from being the mutants to suddenly they are the, the like the Joker gang and then they're the, the they're like the the, the uh, Batman the so- gang. Sons
0: of Batman. And then yeah, Nixon's and-
3: yeah, the Nixon too, and it's just like everyone in this comic is under the sway of some kind of like infective pathology. Up to it, maybe even including Bruce Wayne. Or, or I, I mean, his—he seems to have—he's like, he, definitely in the grips of this external psychosis that he's internalized, almost like his his id. I almost felt like it was his his id escaping out of him and into the city at large, and then just running running rampant over it.
0: Yeah, it does. This comic does treat Batman as a viral and kind of like a viral infection Mm -hmm. that makes some that ruins some people's lives that helps only a few mostly just helps bruce there's this idea uh, about batman that you know gotham city run by you know crooked cops and gangs right and then batman comes along beats up all the bad cops um, beats up all the gangs, but then the super criminals come along, and they're so much worse than the gangs because all they want to do—they don't just want money or to sell drugs. They want to like kill as many people mm-hmm. as possible, and that it is Batman's fault. For uh, creating them and this is something that is you know talked about in like uh, Jeff Loeb's book like The Long Halloween Um, they kind of proposed this idea and I think it kind of might originate with Frank Miller um, that Batman himself is ultimately responsible for everything that say the Joker or the Penguin does because these this sort of criminal wouldn't exist um, without him.
3: Yeah, and there's certain like it's interesting how there's certain triggers that set off um, both Batman's Batmanness. Like at the beginning, <laughs> he you know he he sees the mask of Zorro. I think it was on TV, mm-hmm. yeah. and he's like, "Oh no, like I can't watch this. It's going to bring me back into that." And then it yeah. does. Um, but then there's also I feel like the sense of like Batman himself, Batman returning, is a was was triggered by society or the city decaying to a certain point so while i think on the one hand batman can kind of be seen as like a viral influence i also feel like there's this idea of uh batman being almost like an immune system for the city that comes back when it's gotten bad Ah, enough that something must be done
0: that's interesting it's really interesting
1: yeah i mean you know it it is you know it is right at the beginning it's almost like Batman is, it's, it's like this expression of his like PTSD or something like that in that scene where, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, where he's watching uh, uh, Zorro on television, well, and also
2: yeah. in the scene
0: where the mutants attack him, and he just kind of has a panic attack. Yeah,
2: I just love how he keeps thinking in the beginning of the book. This would be a this would be a this would be a grand death. This would be a worthy death. This would, he's thinking <laughs> about these different death fantasies, and then by the end, he's like, "No, I don't want to die like this. This would be a bullshit death." <laughs> and at the very yeah. end, he's like, "This will be a good life that I'm going to live moving forward." So you're sort of seeing the cycle of healing, but I like that it's condemning like this fatalism. It's like Batman is indulging in fatalism, and he's like, no, Batman, stop indulging in fatalism. That's bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, the most fatalistic thing about this is, of course, he's not supposed to go out and put on the cape and be a superhero because the government no longer wants it. And the government has Superman under their thumb, and they send Superman after batman the most powerful being um in the galaxy against um an old man and (laughs) we get this knocked down drag out fight i think one of the best uh comic book fights ever probably the most yeah. you know, well-known yeah. comic book fight ever lovely lovingly rendered by Zack snyder in batman versus superman dawn of <laughs> justice extended yeah. cut uh, but this is the original <laughs> and i just you know i have looked at these panels so many times. I could probably draw them from memory. Mm. They are just perfect. They show yeah. that even uh, a old Batman uh, can still, you know, beat up that, you know, no good fascist Boy Scout. Uh,
2: With the help of Oliver Queen this actually wait, 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 whoa whoa help help yes, come on in, come essential on. help he hasn't come in with the kryptonite arrow this was my <laughs> introduction to, to, to Oliver Queen by the way and this is totally what got me into the character this book his appearance in this
0: in this portrayal is a far left guy and I really really like that like he, when he calls them uh, running dogs and uh, the it's cops not, running dogs and yeah. fascists that's, that's, that's so cool mu-
2: that is pretty much the core of the character as done by like most of the writers Yeah, and, yes. like, and like the motherfucking government cut his arm off and i can tell you as someone who's yeah. used the bow and arrow before you do not want to use your teeth to draw <laughs> that that is not that's not a thing you can do but um so i appreciated that as well but the art is just still so classic like yeah i loved his earlier art on on daredevil i'm a big fan of his daredevil work and then also what came after it uh but um the the art and this is really One of the reasons why I didn't want to see, I didn't see Batman versus Superman. And one of the reasons I didn't want to is because I was like, what are you going to do that's going to be cooler (laughs) than this fight scene? It's going to, whatever you make is going to be less stylized than this. You're not going to understand shadows the same way. Um, I mean, he really is a master. And it, yeah. one of the things he does really interestingly is he can pivot from beautiful to ugly like this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of artists can't. They can either do, well, they either do shit that's ugly because they're bad or they do stuff that's deliberately ugly in ways that are interesting or they can only make things beautiful. And he right. really, even within the same face, the same character can flip it over the way, depending on what the situation calls for in the moment. And the compositions are always just so striking. The uh, the, the inks by um, Klaus Janison. He yeah. truly is one of the greatest anchors who's ever lived. Not even. Absolutely. Right
1: yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I was struck in reading this and I'm like, you know, Frank Miller has such an odd and distinctive style, but this also does really work as just like a sort of, you know, comic booky comic book, you know, like kind of like what you're saying, like he can, you know, uh, uh, flip from beautiful to ugly. Like this still does, you know, I, I you know. Uh, uh, when you get back, when you get into like Dark Knight Strikes Again, that's when like uh, Miller is a little a little too unbound or something yeah, like yes. that. But this one still feels like very you know like a a DC Batman comic book. Mm-hmm.
3: The art in the first issue is so interesting, especially at the very beginning, because it almost looks like um like like fashion drawings of like like mm. uh, like. Like different the pieces outfits. of clothing it almost reminds mm-hmm. me of the, those like very like like bare stripped down right. drawings that you'll see like fashion designers do or the other thing it reminded me of um, was like movie storyboards where everyone's very blocky and chunky a lot of like straight lines people's mm-hmm. jaws have kind of like a sharp like like bend in them and it's yeah. a very striking visual style that um I, I don't know that i've seen heavily used like before or since in mainstream comics
1: it really reminds me a lot of Jack Kirby. Like it just has that kind of like very angular and like blocky, you know, kind of people. Like I feel like what Frank Miller is it was kind of doing, you know, in in Daredevil and then, you know, continues in this is kind of like noir Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 he does it really really well you know there is something i'd like that you that i do especially appreciate about that he is you know the writer and artist of this comic like there is just something like a slightly different energy when a comic uh uh uh, 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 you know somebody does both duties Mm
2: -hmm. and the and the and the uh the colors that lynn varley does here were and i didn't know this at the time those were completely radical and like nobody was doing that when she did this. Yeah. This was completely innovative. So, and they have this this watercolor look, especially when she's hitting the skies. I just keep thinking to that scene with um, the rescue, the, the 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 capture, I guess, of uh, Two Face yeah. and how gorgeous she's doing there. But that was very innovative. People weren't able to do that beforehand, really. So
3: we we talked. Um... Leslie, you, you mentioned briefly uh, Batman versus Superman, and I, I wanted to just jump in and start ranting about just how many people have stolen from this and how many different ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, please. Um, sometimes effectively and sometimes not. I, I, like I said, I think earlier, like every few pages, I was struck by something that someone had borrowed directly. And I started making a list and then just gave up because there was, there was too much. <laughs> like there's – entire scenes that are lifted for uh for the Joker movie there's yes. um, Batman Begins yeah. to, does a ton of stuff that's taken directly from here yeah. Batman versus Superman pulls like direct lines direct compositions uh the the design of like old Bruce I think is reused in uh, Batman Beyond the, yeah. Like, yeah. the 90s so good. Yeah, absolutely and it's just so many different things have pulled from this it almost makes me feel like like everything Batman comes back to this somehow mm-hmm. but it's recontextualized in so many different ways throughout
2: I mean, before this, Doug Doug Monch and uh, there was a different range of artists like our. our I always want to say Arpaio, but that he's my nemesis. I mean, our Arapio um, did like they kind of did the initial like darker take on on Batman, um, but they weren't playing with the form as many ways. It was more and like you know, it was more just sort of like we can go and talk about some of this. What the time was modern, basically modern comics with Batman, but uh, this was just the definitive thing. I don't think that the character would have been like this renaissance that you had with the Batman movie. Even you know, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Cause what, what the cool thing about this comic is, first of all, it's all self-contained. You can just read these four issues and you don't need anything, know anything that comes before or after. Right. Even the references to things like Jason being killed. Well, he actually hadn't died in the comics yet. That was <laughs> something that was just, you know, for this story, this alternate, um, future style Batman that was not wow. referenced before. Like Bruno, oh, we being know, again. we
1: know which phone number Frank Miller called. <laughs> oh.
2: Yeah. I had forgotten that those seeds were planted in this when I, um, was looking when I, when I, you know, when I, I was looking at the si- the second book and I had completely forgotten that Jason being dead, but, but, you know, we have no idea what happened to, uh, to, to Dick in this.
0: Yeah. Thankfully, because the dark Knight strikes again, um, version doesn't make any sense with this one the jason
2: one no not at all
0: yeah. Wait, wait, is it, is it Jason? It's Jason. Dar-
2: it's Jason. And like, I don't remember what they ended up having the the, 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 the evil Joker guy is Jason. I don't know what they ended up having be the case with oh, them. Oh, I
0: thought that, I thought it was, I haven't read
2: it's it in years. It's not Dick, it's Jason. And he's just like, you couldn't cut the mustard. And I'm like, you keep repeating this phrase. It's giving me the willies. And I just want, the thing I wanted to say about Dreadnought Strikes again is I've never seen a comic starts, comic start so strong and then plummet off a cliff as much as that book. It was just striking yeah. to me.
1: I mean look, there is like I maybe I I have some fond memories. I haven't read it in a very long time. I was like trying to read it when we were on a road trip recently, mm. Leslie, and like uh I was in the first like issue and a half kind of like this maybe is like better than people remember, but mm-hmm. yeah, it it just it gets like uh it gets to be like a slog actually, which is is you know, I I I don't really mind the like you know weird design choices and like the the sort of like you know very uh uh neon color and everything like that but the story gets like to be kind of like unwieldy and uh like a little bit boring actually
0: yeah because you don't need you know a second you need this book ends it has an ending uh it has a definitive <laughs> ending and the only thing you can do with a sequel is you know raise the stakes and bring back all these you know other superheroes and it's just not nearly as yeah. interesting as this story about this one Old guy, you know, on his last uh, mission where he's supposed to, you know, die at the end, but he, you know, ends up tricking everybody and survives. Like that's so much more interesting yeah. than like yeah. finding out it, about where Lex Luthor and the city of Candor and all it, Hawkman. And all but stuff.
2: like Lex Luthor is basically the president, and the president is a hologram. Is like a compelling yeah. moment for the year two thousand and two. <laughs> you know. I, I, I don't know. And I just loved the scene of the Adam battling the uh, like the, the the microscopic worm in the Petri dish. That is some stunning fucking yeah. art. I love it. It's so strong. And then the whole thing just really ran off a cliff. I mean, <laughs> the sexism in the second volume is so much more pronounced and unnecessary and weird um yeah and it, i've just the first the first issue of it was great and the second was a mix and the third was just like this is trash burn it it was bizarre <laughs> to me to have so they fall off a cliff that steep and wow. then i oh. haven't touched the others after that
1: i haven't yeah. read the new thing yet though like i guess he's not like he's not doing the art right like it's no. like jim lee art and uh yeah I haven't, I haven't read it yet
2: no i mean one of them was good like i mean sorry it, I, I never read it it was good it was a good artist i mean as opposed to jim lee it was david messucelli who he worked
1: Oh, with. yeah, okay, I'm sure. a fan
2: of Mazzuchelli, but I still was just yeah. like, I don't need this. I don't need this. And the, the new Superman is like super like, he joins the Navy SEALs, and like, I don't need that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Master Race is done by uh, Andy Kubert, and Klaus Janssen is back on the... It looks good, but not as good as, you know, as, as this does. And uh, Alana, I actually looked it up, it is Dick Grayson in Dark Knight Street. No
4: again. way! Yeah, it's oh. Dick Grayson
0: so and uh, to answer okay. what happened to Jason and I think this is maybe if you're going to read any of the follow up comics read uh, Dark Knight Returns The Last Crusade it's a one shot mm. that, that shows Batman's last mission uh, the art is Frank Miller and uh, Brian Nazarello write it together and John Romita Jr. does the art and it, of all of these it's the, um, the sequels it's probably the best looking and probably has the closest ties to the actual sort of stakes that are in this original comic it's just about batman going out about his day on his last mission he encounters a killer croc and killer croc kind of beats him Um, we get a little bit of poison ivy and then we do get the final you know jason fucking up and and ended up getting uh, killed by the joker similar to what how he does in the regular you know uh, dc universe
3: I was really interested in I mean we we've been talking a little bit about the the uh, sidekicks now I was really interested in the, the 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 sidekick that he has in in this one because it's mm-hmm. it's not a character that I was really familiar with outside of this comic this is it and the way that he he becomes like a paternal figure to her very explicitly, and there's like a couple panels where he's kind of like cr- cradling her, and then a couple times he calls her like his soldier, and is like, "You did good, soldier." Is there's some very weird vibes uh, going on be- between between Bruce and Carrie? I, I, I felt like in
0: this. Weird vibes is is I think is right, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I but I think we're supposed to think that oh Batman is just this v- really weird dude too <laughs> who is still like eternally himself like a child because he's never really left that crime uh, alley and he just brings the other kids along with him to okay. hang out.
2: <laughs> I mean I. I liked and appreciated that it was, they brought in a girl Robin. Like this was the, f- yeah, there's been one girl Robin since briefly. Stephanie Brown was actually titled Robin. But, yeah. For um, like
1: two issues. Right. And then black bullshit. mask, like, and, killed then, her, right? and yeah. then Leslie killed, killed her because she had to be
2: pregnant. Yeah. It was like, you mm, can Oh
1: yeah. Like Leslie killed. Yeah. Like didn't the doctor kill her? Like, he yeah. Even because, black, black mask. Because,
0: because she was so upset with how Bruce keeps bringing the, these kids into he wanted like, to teach him a lore. lesson right. and she was like i can't let another one have to suffer all the things that even though like dick and tim are pretty like okay like they seem yeah. pretty fa- fairly well adjusted she was still like i can't let this happen again <laughs> let's her die jesus
2: anyway so carrie i was excited that she was a girl <laughs> i appre- i appreciated that and it was cool to have you know like that, that character in there and her just can do itness and going out and finding batman but um it's definitely like a point where the they always, everybody else assumes she's a boy and like nobody ever corrects them. Um, and uh, so it does sort of fit into the trope of like, women are only okay if they're like guys. There's some kind
3: of like borderline comedic um, panels that I felt like too, where he's kind of like dragging her along be, behind him. And it briefly looks almost like the Adam West bet, like Batman type composition where it, it's this very serious, brutal comic. And then there's, you know, these, like, borderline, like, slapstick moments of him just being, like, yoink and dragging her along behind him that I I thought were were very, (laughs) like, effectively deployed.
2: Well, he rescues her, you know, in some really, really great staged scenes. And she also gets to kick ass really beautifully, so...
0: Yeah, she saves him uh, a couple of times, Mm -hmm, too, because because he doesn't realize that you know he's old and like the c- the scene the scene that's really funny is where he's like explaining the voice activated computer system <laughs> to her and he's, he's like you probably wouldn't understand it and <laughs> because he hasn't met talked to a teenager in like 20 years he doesn't understand that they would understand the technology like twice as uh, well as he would and she just reprograms it to use uh, like her street slang l- language
2: yeah, that was baller. I I would also, though, I, the fact that Alfred dies when the mansion implodes, that was a little bit like, so you're saying that this man who's basically your dad, but is also your employee, is part of your house. <laughs> like, that's that's the read I'm getting on this. And I was like, that's really dehumanizing. It's also very believable, though. Like, I'm like, yeah, I would do kind of think he might drop dead at that point. But it's yes. sort of like you're basically acting like your father is part of your house. And that's not a good look.
0: Well, he was be a loose end too, so you know, Alfred kind of had to go. Otherwise, Batman would have to take him out after the fact cuz he knows cuz at the end <laughs> where he's, you know, he sold all his stocks like, you know, he, he's he's gotten rid of everything, so uh, Alfred uh unfortunately sadly uh had to go too. And I'm glad it wasn't because of a uh, son of Batman, you know, garroting him. He just, you know, tr- had that stroke.
3: Well, let me put a positive spin on on the end that, that Alfred has here. I, I think from the very beginning, Alfred is, is one of the only characters, I guess maybe Gordon also, who's telling Bruce, like, stop doing this to yourself. Like, you can't keep doing this. And at the end, Bruce kind of does stop doing this to himself, or, or at least he starts doing something mm. different. So I, I almost kind of felt like Alfred got... What he wanted, which oh, as yeah. a surrogate father figure, he he wants Bruce to, you know, live his life and not destroy himself by trying to be that man.
0: Ripped off by uh, Dark Knight Rises, the same ending where uh, he wants yeah. uh, Bruce to be like be getting coffee and then not talk to him. That's his that's uh, Alfred's dream, according to Christopher Nolan
3: and it, it doesn't work as well in the christopher nolan because he's not old and he hasn't gone through all of this this like tormented journey that that was yeah. the other thing that struck me about the way that elements of this get repurposed batman is old in all of this and yeah. he's lived this long hard life of like destroying himself trying to fight crime and apart from batman beyond i don't think any of the other things have the old batman aspect so it, there's like a fundamentally different Way that they come across when it's still like a young, cool, hot Batman instead of like the old falling apart Batman.
0: Well, I think Batfleck really does capture the oldness to a degree that's, you know, kind of believable because he is, a you know, one of the older Batman's. Uh, and he talks explicitly in Justice League the inferior cut that we have by Joss Whedon about being too old to keep doing it we see the scars we see they kind of struggles when he's like working out and doing everything so I do think we're to, and, and it's mentioned in um, Batman versus Superman that he's been doing it for how uh, like 15 20 years of uh, been Batman so we're supposed to see Batman towards the end of his career and instead of uh, the beginning. And I do want to ask, you know, because this has been one of the controversies surrounding Batman uh, versus Superman that I usually point to this comic to address. Does Batman kill? Does Batman kill now? Because in the first, in the first issue where he's uh, rescuing the toddler who's been kidnapped, who is was the heir to a chewing gum fortune. He guns down uh, this female mutant with a machine gun. And um, I usually point to that scene because that scene is copied directly in Batman versus Superman um, as a sign that maybe the Batman who has lived, you know, has done this for 20 years, kind of loosens his grip on the never, ever kill thing. Even though in the in the comic book, it does kind of, he does go back and mention this later on that he doesn't kill, like, outright, but in that situation, in certain situations, I feel like he's kind of okay with it.
3: I mean, he mentions he uses rubber bullets kind of sarcastically. Yes, I
0: was going to mention
1: that. Like, I feel like Frank Miller thinks batman kills and likes to wink at it but can't say it directly in the comic like that rubber bullets thing almost felt to me like those panels were drawn with him just shooting people and then they (laughs) added a caption being like rubber bullets i promise
2: but then how do you explain the the thing with joker in the time of love love, where if batman kills he would have killed the joker but instead he basically tries to brutalize the joker so much that joker can't even stand and then joker (laughs) somehow twists his own neck around which is brutal as fucking hell um and so that's yeah, very and, and joker basically kills himself to frame batman for killing him so he, it's just sort of he would be inconsistent i think if that's the case
0: yeah i think there's um, some inconsistency i think i i what i try to come down on is like he won't outright he'll he he will not murder anyone But he will kill someone. Like, that's, there's a difference. Like, yeah, yeah, if he, yeah, if he can, you know, like, when that mutant is pointing the gun at him and he has the gun on him, like, there's nothing else he can do, uh, but shoot that mutant. Um, but if he, and like, when he talks about, when he's aiming at the mutant leader with a gun, he talks about, you know, it'd be real easy to pull this trigger, but that would be crossing the line that I set for myself a long time ago. I don't necessarily think he means killing. I think he just means, like, shooting someone in the head when I can take them out another way.
3: I felt like a big part of it was that he wanted to kill the Joker but was restraining himself from doing so. He mentions that he keeps thinking about it over and over and over again all the different ways he would do it. And so I think the fact that he keeps himself from doing it is this act of like defiance against becoming Entirely, the I I think I think early on he calls he calls Batman the Beast, and it's this voice that's like talking to him, and I feel like it was his his act of defiance against fully giving himself over to the Beast, the way that uh, Two Face fully gave away Harvey Dent, and they they Mm -hmm. show you know Two Face with the the fully scarred up face, Um, whereas just kind of like the the random you know thugs and and mooks and stuff that he's he's fighting, I, I feel like it's just kind of incidental. Um, and actually, I, I found, I, I was recently rewatching, or I was recently watching for the first time Batman versus Superman, and watching that and then reading this, I, I felt like the criticism and the complaints about how Batman and violence were handled in that were just kind of pointless compared to, because it's, it's basically the same as it is in here, where he's just kind of indiscriminately blowing stuff up and shooting things. He doesn't sit down, as you said, Leslie, and try to murder someone, but he doesn't seem to really mind if somebody dies because... You know, he shot their car or whatever, and it, and it it blew up.
2: And look, I mean, this is a character who has as more writers and artists than anybody in the world he, could possibly yes. imagine. It's never going to be consistent, right. you know.
0: And, and I, I want to talk briefly about you know the Batman versus Joker relationship as presented in this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is Frank Miller saying that I don't know, like the idea of Batman and Joker is kind of being in this almost romantic. Relationship, he kind of takes that seriously, but then he says, like, that's bullshit, right? I mean, not romantic, but like, how do you say it, like parasitic relationship with one another. Like they need each other to survive, that sort of thing. Like he can even though they, like they go in the tunnel of love, but they end up like trying to like straight up murder each other. There is no next time uh, for them. They're not going to do this forever. Batman is sick of them. And then when Joker is dead, he spits on his corpse before mm-hmm. setting on fire showing like a sort of like a Batman take that, I prefer, where he just looks at the Joker as, you know, this completely um, depraved uh, creature who he wants um, really nothing uh, to do with.
3: Yeah, and the, the way that Joker is portrayed in this is he mentions a bunch of times how how cunning and clever Joker is. I think when when he sees the the bomb on the helicopter, he says, like, almost as if Joker designed it. Um, but then once Joker gets out, his, his whole drive seems to be to just keep ratcheting it up and acting more and more like off the hook until Batman just can't help but do something about it, which I think is a really interesting idea that their relationship has come back to in in a lot of different media. But I felt like it was really effective here because uh, Joker conveys that very quickly and effectively. And also they show – like. There's uh, thousands of people are killed by the Joker in his brief like rampage, like he, he yeah, it's still
0: in of the hundreds, it's still in the hundreds. It's like <laughs> two hundred in the audience and like twenty at the fair, and then yeah. I guess some in the building that they blow up, maybe a With the toy Man's
2: mark. bomb, yeah, yeah, but you know, I think Bat Joker's goal is he wants to goad Batman into killing him because that will be the ultimate triumph for Joker, yeah, so I guess he kind of wins. But he doesn't, I guess, because Batman doesn't kill him. But yeah, but I feel like that's his goal. Like, he wants to be able to destroy the dream of Batman, and that would mean luring him into killing him in particular. I still love the choice of it being in the tunnel of love. It's just like a very bold and entertaining metaphor for that. As much as it's super played out to have like, oh, it's Joker. We're going to be in a, in a fair. Like, I don't know why anybody has fairs in the DC or Marvel <laughs> Yeah, Joker <laughs> yeah. is always there. I mean, it's me. Arcade is probably running of it if it's Marvel. Like, don't go to it. But, um... If you're going to have the House of Mirrors tricks and all of the, you know, it's just, it's just something that's, that, that's sort of a classic way to have a fight with them. But, like, bringing it down to the tunnel of love, I think, is a particularly potent metaphor.
3: I, I liked in that that particular House of Mirrors fight, there, there's a moment where I, I forget what exactly the Joker says, but he basically says, like, whoa, this is too much even for me. It just kind of, like, runs out of there. Like, like even, like, it's reached a a level of, like, psychotic violence and Surreality that even he can't actually Cope with it and just kind of has to run out And and find other ground to, uh, to Fight on
0: I think he says something like, this is getting weird.
3: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> this is too weird is what he says. Because Batman has already thrown a batarang in his eye. And his reaction to that is like, what are you out of your mind? So I'm not sure if he really calculated on dying at that point. I feel like he almost, like he was thinking that this he was just going to have his old fun and games uh with his old friend again. But his old friend uh, doesn't want to play along anymore. He's like kind of, done with it and then once he knows it's gone too far he's like okay uh well i guess i'm gonna fuck him over then if he doesn't want to play
3: i had one other thought about um the the violence and the the talk about the tunnel of love reminded me of this because there's a there's a line right as he's going into the tunnel of love where Batman says... He, he's looking at the the people that Joker is just kind of indiscriminately killing as he runs through, through the crowd. And I think he says, that's two more dead because of me. Okay. Two yeah. more people I have killed. So I think that... Kind of going back to the, does Batman kill? I think Batman thinks that Batman kills, maybe, again, maybe not murders, but he definitely thinks that there are people who are dead because of his actions, which, like, I feel like is almost like six of one half dozen of the other at that point.
2: And basically every Jason Todd storyline that I've run into is all just Jason Todd obsessing about this particular thing, like in the modern era. So that's where all that comes from as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, like the because Jason Todd is always like, "Why haven't you killed the Joker?" Even after he (laughs) killed me, you didn't kill him. You let him keep going around and killing and killing and killing. Which is kind of the problem with like the the way comic books work and the serial nature and like the age (laughs) where we went from Joker just doing pranks and gags to him being (laughs) like a sexual sadist serial killer. Of course, (laughs) it would make sense. For uh, Batman to kill him. He would be doing the world uh, a favor to remove, be- to kill the Joker in this fictional world, of course, not in the real world. Um, because th- uh, as we've said before, Batman exists in the fictional world where criminals are actually bad and deserve whatever happens to them. And so that's why he can still be good. Um, but yeah, like he, the, this, the way that Frank Miller brings up all these issues uh with batman and that have been grappled with you know since he's written this comic is and it, it comes from the place where break Bat- miller just basically said what would it mean if batman existed in the real world and it's similar to what alan moore did with Watchmen. what would it mean if superheroes exist in the real world and they come to not exactly you know, dissimilar conclusions. Like there is some overlap, like Reagan is president forever in Dark Knight Returns because he has uh, Superman on his side and he is able to run this, you know, uh, kind of fascistic, um, ultra patriotic uh, sort of uh, government that's doing imperialism uh, across the globe and is at war. Uh, in a fatalistic war with, um, Russia, not so dissimilar to Nixon and Watchmen. But I think it, what Frank Miller kind of does, you know, differently, he still kind of holds on to the hope that even if these superheroes are completely like fucked up and pathological and doing things for, you know, these, uh, personal reasons, this deeply personal trauma and aren't really that interested uh, ultimately in helping out other people that that can still you know by circumstance be turned into a good thing on the whole. While Alan Moore think that that is uh, completely irredeemable,
3: I felt like there were two parts um, that struck me as very Watchmen things, and there, there were quotes that I specifically wrote down. Um, And one was – I I think it's Batman talking about Superman as Superman is doing his quote-unquote police action. Um, And he says, we must not remind them that giants walk the earth. Like this idea that the existence of Superman is somehow like toxic to the order of things – felt like th- that's basically the exact same criticism that's levied uh, against uh you know Dr. Ma- Manhattan except by you know by by Alan Moore him- himself basically as as the the writer instead of existing within the text um and the other thing is towards the end um uh they they're talking about kind of when Batman quote unquote retired the first time and uh he says something like sure we're criminals we've always been yes. criminals we have to be criminals yes. and that also felt like a very watchman uh, criticism to me, but also um, I, I'm very critical in general of uh, art that quote unquote ad- addresses that that addresses things without actually taking a point of view. And I think that the Dark Knight Returns might actually be the rare exception to that, where Frank Miller does not present an answer. There is no clear right or or wrong. Like outcome to it, but the, the 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 topics that it raised do actually feel very well explored compared to something, again, like the Watchmen TV show, which like, says the name of a concept and doesn't actually do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Frank Miller doesn't say, oh, yes, this is how you should think about history, but he kind of presents like a persuasive argument in each direction and does actually let the reader kind of think about it and come down where they are. And again, I think I think that generally is a very like uh, kind of cowardly way of approaching an issue. But here, I, th- I think it, it kind of works. Like it actually explores these concepts pretty fully.
2: I mean, some of his men are liberal strawmen. Like I don't think people who are doing actual restorative justice work are like. Let's go release the Joker since he pretends is like he's going along. It's like that's <laughs> nobody's actually worked with the victims of the crime actually, so that's not restorative justice. Like I think that there's some pieces of it that don't have the actual care in them to to do to, to do a, a good job of representing what those viewpoints would be.
0: I, well, I do think there's a counterpoint kind of where Bruce, is, when when it's talking about Two Face, he he does want two-faced to get out yeah. and get healthy and he like talks shit about gordon he talks mad shit about gordon to the um reporter that asked him about you know harvey Dent. like he wants him to get a second chance so all those people who are saying batman should just use his money uh to help criminals well we see how that worked out didn't it didn't we? Like he, it? It didn't work out for Two Face. So maybe you know the criminals of Gotham are just a little bit worse, and they do uh, need a man dressed as a giant bat to just beat them up and lock them up every so often.
3: I do love the part where where Two Face asks Batman like, "What he sees?" and it shows you again that Two Face feels that he has become fully Two Face instead of fully Harvey Dent. And Batman says, I see a reflection. Yes. And it's very <laughs> much like a, oh, wow. Like, it's very explicit about, like, these guys are basically struggling with the same thing, just yeah. coming at it from different directions.
0: All right. So we've talked so much uh, about uh, Dark Knight Returns. There, I mean, th- we could discuss it all night, I think, because there's so much going on with this comic and so many people have, you know, taken things from it, tried to replicate from it. But at the end of the day, even, you know, oh, 34 Years later, we're still like grappling uh, with this work, and there is no easy uh, conclusions. Um, But I'm going to ask you all to draw an easy conclusion. (laughs) Pro, for, or against Batman in Dark Knight Returns? We'll start with you, Jack.
1: I'm going to make the same argument, you know, uh, uh, that you make about Law and Order, Uh, uh, you know, which is that. You know, this work takes place in a fictional world, Uh, and this is a fictional, weird world that's been, uh, you know, through the uh, uh, bizarre prism of Frank Miller's mind. Um, And so I I stand with Batman in in Dark Knight (laughs) Returns, Uh, and I think he did what was necessary uh, uh, in an an unjust and ugly world.
3: I'm going to say tepidly pro-Batman, but strongly pro-Bruce Wayne. I kind of feel like the the conception that this comic presents is that Batman is a beast that needs to occasionally be unleashed by Bruce Wayne upon the world in reaction to, like, decay. Um, And I think that the message it comes across with is that without that mitigating Bruce Wayne uh, kind of attendant factor, it would be fully destructive. Um, But I think as a tool... I I, I don't think you can get away from the, the conception of this being a fictional world with its own internal logic. A, I don't think you can do anything about Batman emerging as how Frank Miller sees it. Like, Batman is going to come around when it gets bad enough. And within the existence of the world, it does seem to have been the necessary catalyst to get things back on track. Although that did also involve, like, a limited nuclear exchange with... U.S. and and Look, the Soviet
0: you Union. You gotta crack a few eggs, okay?
3: Yeah, exactly. You have to crack <laughs> a few Supermans um, to to make a justice omelet. So I'm going to say pro pro Batman, strongly pro Bruce Wayne.
2: Boy, I I just wanted to say that I this was much less right wing than I expected it to be based on how racist 300 is and all of the other things I've been thinking <laughs> about recently. So I'm still a little bit like, Oh, this isn't at all. It's terrible. You know, this isn't super racist. Like I thought it was, but it is still really fucked up. Uh, I think that it is, I, I can't like roll on Batman in this fiction world. I can look at its impact in terms of other comics. I think a lot of comics took the wrong lessons from it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they absolutely took a lot of the wrong lessons from it. But I think that this comic is less particularly fascist than, than a lot of comics that people don't give grief to for being fascist. Um, but since we're reading it in light of writing a pro-fascist comics supporting the Spartans, Spartans, like, I understand the external context that might make <laughs> somebody draw that conclusion. It's all very complicated, and I think that a lot of the discourse around The Dark Knight has become overly simplistic. And so I'm excited that this show is giving people an opportunity to look at it as a more complex piece of art. Then I think the discourse has given it space to be for a long time.
0: Well, Alana, that's all nice and good, but you did not answer the question. Pro Batman or against Batman?
2: I, I like Oliver Queen. I don't know. I uh, <laughs> you know, he he, he 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 was he was fighting crime under the under the radar with uh without like making it be all about himself.
0: Yeah, there's so. I I just noticed there's the implication uh, in this comic, that he sunk a nuclear su- uh, America, U.S. nuclear sub, yeah, like by himself. I just, right, re- yeah, um, yeah, he's
2: up, he's up to some good trouble there, and, and and isn't uh you know trying to take on necessarily some fascistic kind of role. I just anything that focuses on quote unquote street crime is just always going to gross me out, even though yeah. I also enjoy it. Like I will read the fuck out of it, but like it's not okay. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah,
0: I I, I have to, you know I I you know as the final. Uh, Word on this I do have to say that reading this comic it's really hard um, to say that Batman is doing is bad you know he's doing a good thing for the wrong reasons in a bad way. But ultimately, because the world, as uh, Jack said, because everything in the world is so bad, like maybe this is the best um, we can get. Maybe, you know, the best hope for Gotham is just this old um, billionaire taking out, you know, his personal anger on a bunch of teenagers and <laughs> then inadvertently turning those teenagers into his um, personal um, army is the best hope um, that Gotham has, and you know, I, if I was one of those talking heads on the show, I would tell Alana uh, to chill the fuck out. Like it's not, you know, you know, this isn't the best. This isn't, uh, you know, necessarily something we should cheer on, but it's, it's something we should quietly, you know, support and say, um, yes, um, he's not the hero um, we deserve, but perhaps Batman is the hero we need in the Dark Knight. <laughs> universe. All right, folks, that was Struggle Session. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, Kurt, where can people find you?
3: Yeah, so uh, I can be found on Twitter at at Kurt M. Schiller, uh, and uh, you can check out my podcast, Parents Just Don't Understand. Uh, It's a podcast about parenting and children's media, uh, both intentionally children's media and unintentionally children's media. We talk about things both that were designed for children, and we talk about also things that kind of weren't necessarily designed for children, but that maybe you can use uh, to show, you know, children anyway. And maybe they'll get something from it. Um, and yeah, keep an eye out in the near future uh, for an episode about Batman, the animated series, awesome. which apparently I learned in the lead up to this, did do a loose adaptation of the Dark Knight Returns, yes. which I haven't watched yet, but I'm excited to.
0: Oh, it's, it's quite good. It's quite good. Um, and there is a dark, full Dark Knight Returns two-part cost uh, uh, cartoon that uh peter weller uh voices uh the dark knight in so and i think it's pretty good so if for some bizarre reason you don't want to sit down and watch the comic you can watch the anime adaptation is basically the same and ilana where can people find you
2: Sure. So, Graphic Policy Radio is on every podcast platform. We are a comics and politics meet. I interview comic writers and artists, and we have roundtables, including ones with Leslie. Do come back and join us to finish talking about Deathstroke soon. Yes, um, I will. And uh, we'll be talking about the best comics of the year in an upcoming one. If you've been reading The House of X, Powers of X, X-Men series we've had a lot of very political discussions with historians and and sex uh and and sex columnists debating the strengths and weaknesses of the series and um i'm at twitter at uh e-l-a-n-a underscore brooklyn that's ilana underscore brooklyn
0: correct me if i'm mistaking um all the x-men have gotten like really horny lately like even more hornier than they normally are like
2: epic levels yes. of horny the x-men are always horny they have become or there are like corny queer floor plans which i there's there but not only that like i can just talk about zionism as, as for a long time too like shit's complicated there's a lot happening <laughs> i had been very checked out from x-men comics for a while and then i realized that i needed to have a political opinion on this and so i read them and got quite sucked in there's a lot going on um and uh, i i'm looking forward to continue to cover them with some good political thinkers
0: all right folks that was struggle session have a good one